You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Jordan Barry, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. When I say that I'm a hospice doctor and a personal finance expert, people do a double take. However, they ask, did you develop both interests? The answer, of course, is that they were sequential. Becoming a doctor was something that I was almost born with. It superseded all interests, including money for the first three decades of my life. But then I evolved. Burnout caught up with me and made me question the profession that I thought was going to spend the rest of my life doing. If only I had enough money to escape. Financial independence delivered me from the flames of my inferno. A strange twist in the path indeed, a twist not so different than that of my guest today. The joke could begin, one day a pastor walked into a laundromat. What he did next, however, was no joke. Jordan Barry, a former pastor, took a leap of faith transitioning from 15 years of ministry into an entirely different realm, owning laundromats. As a passive income expert, he now uses his platform to educate, empower, and connect laundromat owners and aspiring entrepreneurs. Jordan Barry, welcome to Earn and Invest. I mean, it does kind of sound like a joke, right, Jordan? A pastor, a rabbi, and an atheist walk into a laundromat, (laughs) but I feel like the punchline would be, and then the pastor bought the place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does sound like a joke. Thank you for having me on the show, Doc. I appreciate it and uh, looking forward to this. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's just, it's funny where life takes you sometimes and uh, never thought I'd see myself where I'm at right now, but here I am. So let's start at the beginning. Talk about becoming a pastor. Was this something like me? I always knew I wanted to be a doctor from when I was a really young kid. Did you always know you wanted to go into that field? Uh, no, like most kids, I spent my days dreaming about being a laundromat owner and (laughs) of course, of course, (laughs) (laughs) no, just kidding. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I uh, actually went to college, uh, studying physics for the first three years. And, uh, uh, at that time I was working at a local grocery store and I got a quote unquote promotion. And that promotion was to stock liquor at night. So I was working nights full time. And going to school full time. And I just, I couldn't hack that very long. I'd go a couple of days without sleeping. I slept through a midterm and, you know, so I, I quit and was looking for the next gig. And I was part of a, a group called crew and uh, was just saying, Hey, I quit my job. I'm looking for a new one. And the leader pulled me aside after and was like, Hey, this 
this uh, pastor of a small church uh, that I know is looking for a youth pastor. Uh, I think you'd be really great at it. You should you should try it out. And so I had never gone to youth group ever. Um, I grew up going to church, um, but I never had gone to a youth group. So my first day I got hired and my first day at any youth group ever was my first day on the job and fell in love with it, changed my major, transferred schools and became a pastor. Did you think or worry about the economics of becoming a pastor? I always talk about when I became a physician, money was like the last thing on my mind because I feel like it's a calling, right? And so for you, clearly being a pastor wasn't a calling. It was something you maybe stumbled into, but then found, boy, this is something that really speaks to me. Did you worry about making a living per se? I did not. I think people around me worried for me uh, (laughs) for sure, but I, I don't know. I didn't, I was young and dumb and just having a good time and felt like I was where I was supposed to be. So I just figured finances would take care of themselves. And, you know, I mean, more or less they did while I was, while I was in ministry. So. Were you entrepreneurial at all as a kid? Like I'm wondering how you go from pastor Mm -hmm. to laundromat owner, none of that, none of like buying and selling things as a kid or making extra money on the side. No, I hear all the cool stories of, uh, you know, the the big time entrepreneurs who are selling their friends candy and, you know, going door to door. My kids do that now, kind of on their own. I, I never did that. I think a lot of how ministry was set up, at least for me, or maybe how I set it up, I see now that there's a lot of entrepreneurial traits of the way that I did ministry, like the the freedom of time. I got to make my own schedule. There really wasn't anybody looking over my shoulder, you know, that that side of entrepreneurship. But in terms of making money, I was naive. I knew nothing. And so you did this for what, 15 years? What kind of changed the course? Was there a level of burnout with being a pastor or was it just time to naturally move on? What happened? Yeah. I mean, I think it was just time. So I had a couple of young kids and, and, you know, my wife and my wife was a stay at home mom for the first time ever. She's a, she's a special ed, uh, special needs teacher. And so, you know, our young kids, my wife was home and it was a big change and transition for her. And it just became time to, okay. You know, there's a lot of demands on my time, but not just my time, my attention. When you're in ministry, you're in the midst of the most difficult moments of a lot of people's lives uh, a lot. And so, you know, with those needs and then the needs at home, it just felt like a natural transition point for me. That was when I sort of transitioned out and that, you know, how we ended up in laundromats is a, a just a weird turn of events from there. I want to get to that in a moment, but was there also an economic squeeze? I mean, we were kind of like the wife's staying at home. I got kids. It's just not cutting it salary wise anymore. No, not really. I mean, we've been we've been pretty good with our money and you know, we under, owned our home here in Southern California and you know, we had we had money in the bank and we're doing okay financially. We were pretty I guess frugal, you know, at the time at least and so it wasn't really a money money issue. So it does sound like cuz you talk about this strange turn of events it almost sounds like it is getting to that joke of a pastor walks into the laundromat. But before (laughs) we get to that, were any regrets? I mean, you're now looking back, you walked away from being a pastor. You're now much more entrepreneurial. You have a YouTube channel, a podcast, a blog, you know, you talk often about things like passive income, any missing that life you used to live or regrets about leaving it? 
Yes. About, I mean, I miss parts of being a pastor for sure. Like I, I love, I'm a people person. I love hanging out with people. I actually, I love being in the midst of those difficult times with people and just, you know, being able to care for people and help out wherever I can. I do miss that. Um, I miss the old days of doing youth ministry where I was doing all kinds of crazy stuff with high schoolers and junior hires, like teepeeing houses and stuff. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> Actually, we just got teepeed a couple nights ago. So brought me back a little bit. Uh, yeah. So I missed that. Uh, no regrets though. I mean, I think it was time to move on and, and uh, you know, church is still there, still go to church and stuff. So uh didn't go anywhere. Just not my job anymore. Yeah. I, I might just explain, cause I guess regionally in the United States, there may be places where they don't TP each other, right? But it's right, like yes, rolls yes. of toilet paper and <laughs> yes. throwing it into people's trees. I'm just not sure if everyone in the United States, certainly people out of the United States are right. aware of that. So why the heck laundromats? Tell us about this strange and weird turn of events that led you to this place. Yeah. So, I mean, what when when it came time to sort of leave the, you know, vocational ministry, uh, I was trying to figure out, okay, well, you know, all of my, my education now, I got my degree in ministry and 15 years of experience in ministry. And now I don't want to work in ministry anymore. So what do I do? Uh, was the big question. And it was, it was a, I, I really didn't know. It was like, uh, my identity was being questioned, you know, all of a sudden. Um, and so kicked in, to the creative mode and had a really great idea. And my idea was let's, you know, we got these two young kids. We've got our house here in Southern California. We've got a little bit of money in the bank. Let's take that money in the bank. Let's go buy a condo on the beach in Hawaii and let's take our house in Southern California. We'll rent it out and we'll do whatever in Hawaii while our kids are young. And if we want to, when they're school age, we can come back and net gain condo in Hawaii. And uh, my wife said, we could do that or we could buy a laundromat. And so I have yet to this day owned a condo in Hawaii. <laughs> so, so I'm mourning for your condo in Hawaii as we yes, speak about you. this. But again, I have to ask the same question. Why the heck yes. did your wife say, hey, let's do a laundromat? I mean, as opposed to all the other million ideas, yeah. why a laundromat? Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, that's a great question. It's you would you would ask that even more so if you knew my wife. This is very out of character for her. That is not her style at all. Uh, it was very surprising to me. But if you can follow me for a second, so my wife's parents, friends, son worked a tech job in San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, he ended up buying a laundromat and went from you know working his 70, 80 hours a week in tech to working five to 10 hours a week and replacing his income with a laundromat. And my wife heard that and was like, well, yeah, let's do that. Let's buy a laundromat. And, you know, we've got young kids. We'll free up your time. That was sort of one of the goals anyways, and have some income coming in. We'll be good to go. And I actually thought that was a really great idea. It did not turn out like that for us, but that was the idea behind it. And uh, that um, is, that's, that's the dream of a lot of people who are, get interested in buying a laundromat. I like this dream versus reality, which I definitely want to delve into. But before we even get there, did you know anything about laundromats? No. I mean, like the <laughs> business of how you no. run a laundromat or even specifically how you, for instance, dry clean and press and what equipment you need, any of that? 
No, no. <laughs> and, and, you know, in, in fairness, so we bought a laundromat specifically, no dry cleaner, no, none of that stuff. Um, so it's just a self-serve that this first one that we buy is a, a self-serve laundromat. Basically people are renting your machines to use them essentially. Uh, but no, I knew nothing about, not only did I know nothing about laundromats, I knew nothing about business. I knew nothing about sales. I knew nothing about marketing. I knew nothing about investing, real estate, nothing. I knew I was very naive, which leads into why it did not go according to plan. <laughs> uh, so tell us about that first deal. What exactly happened? What were your expectations and what was reality? Yeah. So we started looking around, you know, at the time, this was about a decade ago, there really wasn't a whole lot of information out there on how to buy them, how to value them, how to run them. There really wasn't anything out there, which is why I now have a podcast and a blog and a YouTube and all that stuff uh, to try to help other people get that information out there. But uh, there really wasn't a whole lot out there. So I had a couple conversations with my wife's parents, friends, son, but he, you know, he just happened to buy a really good one. And so he hadn't learned the hard lessons that I was about to learn. And so, you know, I started looking around online and and found one that I liked. And it turned out that one wasn't going to be a good deal. But that broker said, I have another one uh, that I think would be a great fit for you. And uh, ended up buying that one on a promise of, hey, look at this thing. It's going to cash flow after all expenses and, and loan and everything. It's going to, you know, cash flow, you know, five to six thousand dollars a month. And I was like, OK, that's I can do that. That's not bad purchased it and put new equipment in it and remodeled it. And it was losing thousands of dollars a month for a long, for a couple of years. Uh, and so it was just a really big punch in the gut there where I was expecting to be making money and I was actually losing money for a long time. Looking back now, what was your major miscalculation? So you had this number in your mind, you somewhere came up with the five to 6,000. It clearly was off. Mm -hmm. What, why were you naive? What didn't you know? So many things. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, in the big picture, my my big my big mistake was that I relied solely on the one person who stood to gain from me buying that laundromat aside from the seller, I guess. Uh, and I relied pretty much entirely on this broker. And, you know, the broker, you know, he gave me a pro forma, showed me what the numbers were going to be and, you know, sold me on the promise of yeah, here's here's what this thing is going to do. And, you know, knowing what I know now, I know that that laundromat was never going to do that much as a small laundromat. And uh, uh, the demographics of the neighborhood are good, but it's a rough neighborhood. Um, and so, you know, when I put in new equipment, that stuff would get torn up pretty quick and, you know, all this stuff. Right. And so there's just a lot that I didn't realize that I needed to do. And and then, you know, on top of that, I didn't do any marketing. He, he told me I don't need to do any marketing. Laundromats don't market. Um, and so it was sort of a field of dreams. If you build it, they will come type of thing. And so I put in new equipment and then just was like standing there in the doorway with my Here arms open, <laughs> waiting to welcome everybody in and, and nobody showed up. Right. You know, I mean, there's a lot of mistakes in there, but relying solely on the broker is fundamental number one. If I had if I had, had 15 minutes with myself now or someone like me now who understood the business before I bought that, it would have saved me six figures for sure. 
How do you even know what to buy a laundromat for? Like, I assume the broker mm-hmm. said, this is a good deal. This isn't a good deal. Mm-hmm. Now you have some experience. How do you even value someone else's business like that when you're thinking about buying it? Yeah. So what's what's good and bad about a laundromat is that they can be relatively simple, at least on the surface and initially to value. And I'll tell you how to do that in a second. Uh, the The potentially bad part is that most laundromats are still all cash businesses. And so the actual verification of the value of the laundromat is where it gets a little bit tricky and where you really want somebody who understands the business in your corner. Um, but in order to value the laundromat, really all you need is four numbers, you know, to get to uh to get to the value. So number one, you need the net operating income or the net income. And that's the cornerstone of the value of your laundromat is the net income, right? And then in order to translate that to the value of the laundromat, you're going to apply a multiple to it. Um, so if you're familiar with like commercial real estate, they'll use like a cap rate, a capitalization rate. Um, well, a multiple is just the inverse of the capitalization rate. Okay. So uh, for a laundromat, it has been typically the average multiple that you're going to apply to the net operating income is going to be somewhere in the three and a half to five times the net income range. I'm seeing that shift up a little bit more as there's been more demand for laundromats and less supply on the market. So we're more like the four to five and a half right now. Uh, but it's still a pretty big gap, right? If you have a net income of $100,000, you know, that means the value is somewhere between four hundred and $550,000. So that's still a pretty big gap. So in order to determine where on that spectrum the multiple is, you need the other three numbers, which are the age of the equipment. So obviously newer equipment, it's more valuable. So the multiple is going to be higher. Uh, the amount of rent, the rent amount. And the way you know if that's a good amount or not is as a percentage of the gross income. Okay. And so the number you're shooting for is about 25% of the gross income or uh, less obviously is better, but right around there is the sort of the magic number. So if you're, if it's grossing $10,000, you want the rent to be around 2,500, give or take uh, a little bit, uh, preferably less, but you know. Uh, somewhere around there. And then the third number uh, for that multiple is the amount of time left on the lease. And for a laundromat, a longer lease is better. And the reason for that is because there's a lot of infrastructure there. So if your lease you know, ends and your landlord doubles or triples your rent because it hasn't been raised in forever, whatever reason, uh, then you're in a tough spot where not only are you going to be cash flowing less every month because your, your rent expense is going to be higher, but remember that net income is the cornerstone of the value of your laundromat. So you're also going to lose equity in your business or the landlord could just say, Hey, we're not going to renew your lease. We want to put a shoe store in here instead. And now you've got all this equipment and basically you're out of business essentially at that point. So those three numbers will help you get to the multiple there. Talk about your learning curve. Cause you stuck with this first business for quite a while, lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Eventually had to figure out how to turn this all around. Mm-hmm. I have a million questions there. Why did you stick with it for so long and how'd you turn it around? Yeah. So, you know, I get told all the time, like, oh, you've got grit. You've, you know, you <laughs> really stuck with stubborn, it. You're like stubborn bound for success. And, you know, part of it was stubborn, but let's, I, I'm just going to be real with you here. You know, we've got that Jordan connection. So I feel like we can be, <laughs> we can be real with each other here. So really it was, I had no idea how to get out of it. 
I mean, part of it was like, I was determined to make it work. I was like, look, here, here's one of the things that plagued me is there's a stat that floats around. I still don't really know where the stat comes from. Uh, but you know, there's a stat that floats around that says, Hey, 95% of all laundromats are successful. Right. And that high success rate is true. There is a super high success rate. Is it 95%? Uh, maybe, maybe not, but it's high, uh, especially compared to other businesses. But I was like, how in the world am I in the 5% that can't figure this business out? Like this, it doesn't jive with my self-identity as someone who, you know, has worked really hard to be good at everything that I try, uh, you know? And so part of it was that for sure. The other part of it was, I just didn't know how to get out of the situation. I was losing money. I had money invested in, I was underwater and I didn't know how to get out. And you also had no income coming in at this time, right? Because you no. had stepped away from the pastor job. So not only are you losing money, yeah. um, but you have no positive influx. Obviously, it's a happy ending, right? You didn't go broke and go bankrupt. Right. What changed Still the here. tide? <laughs> yeah, what changed the tide? I'm going to say time and grit, uh, but we know the grit was sort of forced on me a little bit. <laughs> so I'm not going to take credit for the grit, but uh, you know, I think- I think partly that, I mean, it was just a slow learning process. I mean, I I remember times where I was just like desperately searching out like how, who can help me? Who can help me figure this out? Like I'm, I'm just missing one piece of the puzzle or something that I can't figure this out. Right. And, and not being able to find anybody who could help me. And so I just kind of started trying things, right. I trying this little marketing thing, trying this little promotion thing, you know, and then part of it is one thing I found was it was a lot easier to rehab the laundromat than it was to rehab the reputation of the laundromat. So that just took a lot of time uh, to to actually happen because I because I wasn't intentional about doing that, you know, intentionally and quickly. Uh, so if I had to do it all over again, I would definitely put a plan in place to get people in there as quickly as possible to show them, Hey, this is a new place. Now this is not like it, it was before with cockroaches running around and gang bangers hanging out all day. It's different now. Um, but it just took time for that message to get out. And you still own that laundromat today. I only, I just sold it, uh, recently to a buddy of mine actually. So yeah, I owned it for, I think about nine years. We are talking to Jordan Berry, a former pastor, took a leap of faith, transitioning from 15 years of ministry into an entirely different realm, owning laundromats. And we are talking about laundromats as a form of passive income. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? It was one of my favorite budgeting apps, but here's the problem. Mint is disappearing. Now we all are stuck with the question, how will we manage our budget and finances now? Well, I discovered Monarch Money, and I have to tell you, I found it simple, enjoyable, and made for users like me. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. There's so many great things about Monarch. One is it's intuitive. 
When I signed up, I went to the website, and within minutes, I had had all my accounts downloaded. I connected to all my banks. It is collaborative. It's not only made for people like me, but for people like me to then share it with my spouse or my financial advisor or what have you. And Monarch is so customer-focused that they're always looking for ways to improve and make their product serve us better. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. This episode of Earn and Invest is sponsored by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash earn and get on your way to being your best self. Listen. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right, but sometimes the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great, and therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships. I know, because when I went to BetterHelp, one of the relationships I wanted help with was that with my father. You see, my father died when I was seven years old, and I had a lot of unresolved issues. My therapist at BetterHelp was actually really good at helping me talk about those issues and start to find answers that normally I would have tried to find with my father, but since he was no longer around, I had to find them on my own, and having a therapist was incredibly impactful in that journey. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com earn today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot earn. We are speaking to Jordan Berry. He is a passive income expert. He now uses his platform to educate, empower, and connect laundromat owners and aspiring entrepreneurs. So you started as a pastor. You ended up owning laundromats. Did any of the skills you built as a pastor work in the laundromat world? Did you find you kind of digging back in there and using some of those skills to make your laundromats work? Yeah, that's a great question. I I almost want to say that it was almost the opposite effect. And and I'll tell you why is because, so the laundromat that I bought is in uh, a city called Montebello. It's on the border of East Los Angeles and a uh, rough neighborhood. And this sort of like pastoral care gene that I had, had unique opportunities to manifest itself because, you know, unattend- this was an unattended laundromat. There's nobody there most of the time during the day. But those types of laundromats, especially in rougher neighborhoods, tend to attract, you know, homeless people, drug addicts, gangbangers, people who want to hang out somewhere inside where nobody's there to kick them out. Um, and so, you know, my natural instinct was to go to care. And that turned out to be not helpful uh, for me building a business uh, because what it did was it just encouraged people to that I didn't want hanging out there to come and hang out there. And they didn't get a clear, strong message that they were not welcome to hang out there unless they were doing laundry. Um, and so it took me a while to kind of figure that out, that I had to speak in a way that uh, that they could hear me um, because the way that I was speaking to them, they couldn't hear the message that I was trying to, to give them, which was, hey, you're welcome to come do your laundry here, but if you're not doing laundry, you're not welcome to be here. 
And so, and honestly, that was a really difficult part for me because there's, I mean, you know, it's pretty well known. There's a huge homeless issue in, in Los Angeles. And there are just some heartbreaking stories from people, you know, I met that came through the laundromat and, uh, you know, it was that, that was a tough, unanticipated, difficult aspect of owning the laundromat for me early on. And that's not true of all laundromats. It just happened to be true of the one that I bought. So let's talk of the dream of passive income, right? So you had originally heard about laundromats. I'll shorten it by saying a family friend, right? So that we don't have to go through that whole list yeah, yeah, of how yeah, you yeah. knew this person. <laughs> but the dream was, hey, look, he's spending five hours a week doing this and making tons of money. Yet what you're describing sounds like it was, at least in the beginning, a definite amount of work. Are laundromats passive income? Do we want to use that term? Well, I mean, I think that term gets thrown around a long, a lot. And so I would say no, because of the connotation of you're not doing anything, right? So one thing that I like to say is whenever you have people that you're dealing with or machines that you're dealing with, you're going to have problems. Laundromats, you're dealing with a whole lot of both, right? And so problems do come up. Things do need to be managed. It is a business. But, uh, you know, if there's a spectrum of passive income where it's totally passive to totally active income, it's definitely far, far um, on the passive side, especially when you consider other types of businesses uh, that you could run. It's definitely on the passive end of the scale, but it's not a passive business, I would say for sure. You obviously deal with a lot of people who get into this business and we're talking about replacing income. Obviously, that depends on the size of the laundromat, et cetera. But is this something that people buy one and they're done? Or is it the kind of thing where they usually own three or five or 10 to really start replacing that income? Um, I think it takes one to three laundromats, like you said, depending on your income that you need to replace and and the size of the laundromats. But definitely one to three laundromats and you can replace 99.8% of people's incomes in America and with one to three laundromats for sure. So let's talk about how you go about doing this and specifically what mistakes people make. Because you not only had your own reference of making mistakes, specifically trusting the broker was the huge one, right? In the beginning Mm -hmm. that they told you this was going to work and you kind of bought into it hook, line and sinker. Talk about the people who come to your various platforms. What are some of the big mistakes that you see people make over and over again in this business? Yeah. Well, I've done a lot of consulting over the years now, uh, hundreds and hundreds of calls now. And so I've seen a lot of mistakes. I think the the big ones, you know, that we see is number one. I mean, I, I still think people, you know, people will come to me a lot after having purchased a laundromat and not had somebody who understood the business helping them through. I mean, I think that's the number one uh, thing because, you know, there's just a lot of potential gotchas in this business. Like I said, it's a cash business. And so it can be difficult to make sure all the numbers are working and are true and that you're getting that valuation correctly. Um, so that's one, one big one for sure. You know, in, in the valuation itself, I mean, verifying the income is, like I said, there's, there's a little bit of an art, a little bit of a science to it. And so miss verifying income and, or, missing expenses. Cause like you said, if you think more money's coming in or less money is going out and either one of those turns out to not be true, your net income is less, you're pocketing less every month, but you're also overpaying, you're, you're losing equity in that business, right? So misevaluating either the income and or the expenses. 
side of things. Um, I see people coming into this undercapitalized a lot, which is tough. That was a that was part of my problem too. Is that I would I'd probably say that I was undercapitalized. I was not ready to weather two years of, which you don't have to be. <laughs> hopefully, you know, you get somebody to help. You don't have to be ready to weather two years of of losses. But I was not ready for that. Um, and it, it hurt, it hurt real bad financially, emotionally, all that, uh, but coming in under capitalized, this can be a, a very capital intensive business to get into in the beginning. However, what makes it so great is that the returns are, are very difficult to match there too. So, but, you know, being undercapitalized is another big, uh, mistake that people have coming in. So most of what we're talking about is kind of right around purchase time. What after? Yeah. What about after it's up and running? You mentioned marketing, right? So that was mm-hmm. one mistake is you were led to believe that marketing was unnecessary. What are some of kind of the other problems people run into once they've actually made the deal and are up and running? Yeah. Oh, can I backtrack and just mention one more? Uh, I, You know, the lease is the other big one that I see people make a mistake in. The lease is going to be either your biggest expense or maybe your second biggest if labor, uh, your labor costs are higher. And so if you get into a bad lease, that can really make it difficult to succeed. Uh, but once you get in, yeah, I mean, you know, not the biggest mistake is not doing the basics, right? Keeping the place clean all day, every day, as much as you can, keeping all the machines running. You know, making sure the change machine has change in it. You know, just making it easy for the customers to come in and do their laundry. It's just the basics. And you see, you know, when when most people think of a laundromat, you think of something that's a little dark, a little dirty. Half the machines are out, right? We call those zombie mats in the business. And uh, you know, that's what you think of because there's so many owners that just don't take care of the basics. They don't treat it like uh, like it's a business, right? And so, taking care of the basics. Marketing, I think, is low-hanging fruit right now in our industry. Still, most laundromats don't do any marketing. So if you do a, even a little bit of decent marketing, uh, you you stand to gain uh, quite a bit there, potentially. You know, I mean, other than that, it's, you know, it's the, the decisions that you make, uh, like how you're going to deal with customers. When a customer has an issue, there's some owners who are going to fight those customers on the issue. And then there's other owners who are like, you know what? I'm just going to handle the issue. I'm going to refund your $5 and load you up in a new machine. You're going to be happy, you know? And so how you treat your customers is a big deal. And then it comes down to, you know, some of those decisions, like when am I going to get new machines? And, you know, how am I going to do all of them at once? Am I going to do part of them uh, at a time and then do the rest later? Um, You know, those kinds of decisions that come in, as you're actually running your business and who are you hiring to help you? You know, the who is a big deal too. I was about to say like for your typical laundromat, how many people do you need to hire to help you upkeep that? I mean, are you running there doing most things yourself or do you have someone? Cause you said these are unmanned mostly, right? There's not usually a person sitting there. Uh, so there's different business models. What's, what's really interesting about this business is that, like as simple of a business as it is, there's like a lot of ways that you can run this, right? So you can run them unattended where basically you just either you as the owner or you hire somebody to come in and clean for an hour or two a day and just make sure the place is, you know, clean and, and uh, ready to go for the next day or for that day. Um, You can run them partially attended where there's somebody there some of the time Uh, you can run them fully attended you can offer a service like people can come and drop their laundry off and you have your employees or you do it for them. 
and and process that. Or you can even offer pickup and delivery where you have a driver who goes out, picks up laundry, brings it back. Uh, you've got people that process that laundry and then the driver sends it back and delivers it. So it really depends on the model uh, that you have. There's plenty of laundromats that have you know, one employee and they come in seven days a week for two hours a day. And, and that's that. And then there's plenty of laundromats who have, you know, four or five, 10 employees because they're processing a whole lot of drop off and pick up and delivery laundry. How important is location? I mean, when we talk about real estate, you know, location, location, location is yeah. the same with laundromats is the location going to make or break you. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say, you know, at least as important as real estate, if not even more so, you know, you've got to have the right demographics around you. Like if I'm in, you know, Beverly Hills, probably not too many people are going to come to my laundromat to do laundry. However, it might be a great place for me to offer a pickup and delivery service because probably a lot of those people hate doing their laundry and they'd pay somebody to do it for them. Right. Um, so location is huge and specifically on the self-serve side of things it's it's huge you want to be in like a renter demographic we're looking for you know the majority of the population to be at or below the median income within like a half mile to a mile radius if you're in like a city you know we're looking for larger households you know those kinds of things that we're looking for and then you know you want to consider things like visibility how visible is it from the street when people are driving by how much parking is there right in front of the laundromat are people going to have to lug their laundry half a block to get to your laundromat all those things factor into the location so to sum it all up let's talk about that kind of passive income continuum right because mm -hmm. people who are listening to this right now are evaluating for themselves they're saying would a laundromat be a good way of passive income or a good way to diversify my income streams? Mm -hmm. And so the question becomes <clears throat> let's compare that to things like real estate or the stock market etc why are laundromats alluring compared to some of those other types of passive income? To me, it's that's an easy question to answer. And it's because, you know, well, before I answer it, I, I'm going to set it up this way. The average real estate deal cannot touch the average laundromat deal when it comes to cash flow. And, you know, the stock market with all its volatility and it's relatively compared to laundromats, at least low historic return that you can get there just mean that your if your if your goal is to leave your w2 job if your goal is you know to leave leave that 9 to 5 or financial freedom financial independence i i'm firmly in the camp of you should be investing in something like a laundromat uh probably a business like a laundromat even before real estate or the stock market and i'm saying this i'm a real estate investor i have both commercial and residential property I probably love real estate even more than I love laundromats. However, if your goal is to leave your nine to five or to have financial freedom, your number one priority should be cash flow. And you can go invest in real estate and get a, you know, maybe like an eight to 10% return on your money if you're finding a pretty good deal right now. Well, a base hit laundromat, base hit is 20 to 25% cash on cash return. And that's unleveraged. So once you add a loan onto that, those numbers start to go up and you can start to see how that cash flow can compound very quickly. And so while it's not going to be as passive as the stock market, for sure, 
And it's probably not going to be quite as passive as real estate. It's not that far off of real estate to where I'm like, okay, I'm willing to spend a couple hours a week to leave my nine to five job, you know, nine years earlier. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's what makes laundromat so alluring for people who are looking for financial freedom, financial independence, leaving their nine to five job. I think that's what makes them so exciting. How hard is it to scale from one to many? Uh, man, if you buy right the first time, it's, it's not hard. You know, once you get your first deal under your belt, a lot of doors open up for you, right? Deals, other deals start to come your way a little easier. Financing options, you know, open up to you because you're an experienced owner now. Um, and you already have the model, right? You have a business model that you have either inherited or inherited and developed, uh, as you've owned your first laundromat. And so, by and large, the models are transferable to other locations. There's going to be some nuances, you know, based on demographics and, and different communities and stuff. But by and large, they're transferable to other locations. And so you can scale. And, and especially if you're not taking your, your cash flow, you know, right away, and you're able to kind of roll that into your next one, then, I mean, you can scale pretty quickly. Jordan, your platform includes a blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel. Are there that many people out there searching for information about laundromats? I mean, is this something like, I, I haven't been as aware of it. I mean, I have vaguely heard about it being in personal mm -hmm. finance, but are there just crowds of people who want to know about this? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's not as big as like real estate investing in general. It's definitely a niche, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you'd be surprised at how many people there's, there's you know, somewhere around 33,000 laundromats in the United States. And so already that's, you know, that's a decent amount, but you know, you've got, uh, you've got creators like Cody Sanchez, you've got Brandon Schlichter with investment joy, and there's some others now who've popped up who have really been touting laundromats. And I think also with, you know, during COVID, you know, I think people looked around and said, man, that business is closed. That business is closed that laundromat's open, that business is closed. And so I think it piqued a lot of interest. Um, and that coupled with right now, you know, our, our industry has been like, uh, it's like a turtle riding a snail through molasses in terms of going with, you know, adopting new technology. It's been so slow. Basically nothing's happened for decades. The last two years, some new technology has come in that's allowed it uh, allowed us to manage more manage more laundromats like digital payment systems now we don't have to go around collecting quarters you know from 10 different laundromats which takes a lot of time and a lot of muscle because those quarters get real heavy real fast right and you know software systems that help you manage multiple locations things like that um, that are making it more feasible for more people like real estate investors who want to spend less time managing, but really like the idea of 20 to 25% returns unleveraged for a base hit average deal. Um, and so there's more and more demand for it right now than probably ever before. Is there anyone this business is particularly bad for people you see kind of a personality trait where you're like, you're not going to succeed at this? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I see the people who come into it, who, the people who were sold the, the same message that I was sold, right? And and don't realize, look, this is a business and it is going to take a little bit of management. It's not a lot, but you do have to manage this business. And this business is sold as 
you know, you come in, you collect quarters once or twice a week, and that's all you do. And you just rake in the dough. And if you come in with that mindset, you know, it's not really a personality trait, but that's a, that's definitely a uh, trope that's been thrown around. Uh, and that I think will set you up for failure uh, because it's not quite true. There are things that you need to do to make sure this business is a good one, especially now as it's becoming more popular, people are seeing the returns. And so because of that, it's starting to become more and more competitive. So it's less hands-off than it was maybe even five years ago. But with all that said, still relatively, you know, relatively little. In a moment, I'm going to give you, give you a chance to talk about your platform, but before I do, is there any like good first step? Cause that's another thing is mm-hmm. as people are listening to us talk right now, they're saying, Hmm, maybe that is something I'm interested in. What's like the initial step to start looking into this. Go check out laundromat resource podcast, you know, for, I'm not trying to like promote it, but I mean, you're going to hear from people who are in the business and, you know, I specifically designed that podcast for uh, for this industry because there was so much of a scarcity mindset in this industry. And there still is to an extent, but it's opening way up. And so I asked very pointed questions about, hey, like, what are the struggles you've gone through? What kind of numbers are you doing? What's your advice for somebody getting into this business? So that's one thing if you're just trying to get kind of familiar and see other people's experience. Um, there's also... You know, uh, at laundromatresource.com, there's a free how to buy your first laundromat course. It's three lessons. They're 20 minutes each. So, you know, within an hour, you'll have all the basics of how to find and value and then uh, do your due diligence on a laundromat. All the basics there uh, for that. So that's a good place to start if you're actually looking to kind of get started. But if you're looking to kind of get familiar with it talking to other owners, right? Either doing that in person or doing that on like a podcast or something. Well, Jordan, I wanted to thank you for coming on this show today. I like the fact that you use that term due diligence, because I think as we listen to your story and as people know of my story, this idea that you can go from a pastor to a laundromat owner, or you can go from a doctor to a personal finance expert, podcaster and writer, this idea that those moves sound a little bit crazy, right? It's like, wow, Mm -hmm. people actually do this. But the key to all of this, the way to succeed and certainly to not spend years losing money is you have to do the due diligence up front. There is such thing as passive income. You can replace your nine to five, uh, but it's going to take a little bit of work and a little bit of cautiousness. And you're going to have to go out and learn how to do these things before you jump in. I wanted to end this episode the way and every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and more importantly, how people can reach out to you. So Tell us about your brand specifically and what is going on in your world right now. Yeah. So Laundromat Resources, uh, you know, it it was birthed out of my story, right? Like as I was mentioning, like I was desperately grasping for anybody that could help me. And and it was smooth walls. There was nothing to hold on to, right? As I was sliding down, it, it was sort of like a not on my watch kind of thing. Like I'm not going to let that happen to anybody else, as long as I can help it. Um, so that's sort of the, the birth of it. And that was when I started writing down some of these very expensive lessons, uh, that I learned. And then, uh, you know, that turned into a YouTube channel. And then I was like, Hey, if I really want to help people thrive in this business, I should talk to the people who are already thriving in this business. That's where the podcast came out of there. So very excited about that. Uh, been able to kind of put together a community of people who are 
both in the business and uh, and thriving and trying to build their own empires and people who are interested in joining this business and getting them together to help each other. And that has been by far the most rewarding thing for me. It's very cool to just be in community with people who are like-minded, who are trying to achieve their financial freedom. And, uh, you know, we happen to have a vehicle in common of laundromats. Uh, I don't think it's the only vehicle, but it's a pretty good one. Um, and so that community aspect is is very cool too. And that continues to grow. And what's the easiest way to get in touch with you if people have questions? Uh, yeah. So Laundromat Resource is the brand, laundromatresource.com. Um, Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N at laundromatresource.com is my email address there. Uh, we're also on all the social channels. You can send us a, a DM on any of those also. Yeah. Jordan Barry of Laundromat Resource. Thank you so much for coming on Earn and Invest today. Thanks for having me on, Doc. It's been a huge pleasure, huge honor to be on and uh, to be able to talk with you about it. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. I want to do something a little bit different here. I want to do a headline. I was reading this in Yahoo Finance. The article was titled, Stock Losses Deepen as Wall Street Braces for Higher for Longer Interest Rates. And this was written by Karen Fryer and Hamza Shaban. And it reads, Tech stocks led to a broad equity retreat Thursday as Wall Street fretted about the hawkish message sent out by the Federal Reserve alongside its decision to hold interest rates steady. After combing through the central bank's forecast, investors believe its policymakers see interest rates staying higher for longer. The debate is over just how longer that longer will be, given the central bank signaled another hike at one of its final two meetings this year. Goldman Sachs has pushed back its forecast for a Fed rate cut to the fourth quarter of 2024. The prospect of a prolonged period of elevated rates has spooked some investors, as that would put pressure on stocks and bonds. However, Federal Chair Jerome Powell stressed policy will be dependent on economic data in his press conference. Official figures out Thursday showed jobless claims last week fell to their lowest level since January, the latest sign of strength in the U.S. labor market. So why am I talking about this article today? You know, it's one of the things that rubs me wrong that I think a lot of people who are interested in personal finance fall into. We read these articles about what's going to happen in the equities market based on the Fed rate or based on some short-term economic prognostic indicator, and we freak out and we make decisions about what we should do with our investments Whereas none of that should matter to most of us. Most of us long-term investors who are putting our money in index funds or whatever we're putting it into and leaving it for long-term, we should be rather agnostic to what happens today. So yes, the Fed is not cutting rates and has kept rates up. This kind of makes sense, right? Inflation is high. The Fed wants to slow down the economy. The way to do that is to keep interest rates a little bit higher. That should eventually lead to actually higher levels of joblessness, less purchasing of products, and more competition for businesses who then will have to charge less. The idea is to slow inflation down. Why do we have inflation? Well, what we're talking about there is the Fed and how they mess with interest rates. 
We then have the Treasury, and through things like quantitative easing in which they print money to pay off debts or to give aid, that can cause inflation. So what we have here is we have a tug-of-war between the Treasury and the Fed, but we mistake this tug-of-war, we mistake policy as actually being pertinent to the investments we hold for long-term, which it is not. What we're interested in is not what's going to happen with the interest rate. We're not interested in how much quantitative easing there's going to be. What we're interested in is can we hold these companies that are going to do well over the long term and grow with them? So especially if you're going to invest in index funds, ones that are broadly indexed to the American market, what you're really doing is you're betting on the future of American and pretty much international business also. You're betting on the American market. Now, of course, that market is going to fluctuate, especially in the short term based on inflation and interest rates and whatever the Treasury does today or tomorrow. But I don't want all of us to get confused by these articles that make it sound like we should be changing our assets, changing our portfolios today Just because something new has happened, the financial industry loves to create these earthquakes based on current news because it makes people buy and sell. It makes people buy their products. It makes people interested in getting their advice. This is truly an economic play by the media and by the financial industry. But the truth is, I don't think it makes much of a difference to your average everyday Joe and Jane who wants to build up their retirement portfolio and one day be able to leave the workplace. Yes, things are a little bit different if you are currently drawing down, if you're retired, if you need to make a big purchase and you're going to have to be liquidating assets. All of these things then can affect you. But hopefully the goal is that you plan for those long term and then don't get stuck making these last minute decisions when you can't control the current economic climate. So I think it's entertaining to read these articles. I think it's fascinating to know what's going on with interest rates and the Fed and the Treasury. But I would hazard you from getting overly emotional about this kind of news. It's just not important to what you're building for, not just today, but in the future. All right, I leave things running just for a few minutes to catch kind of our chat afterwards. I put it in as an after show. Anything we didn't talk about, about laundromats, about your story, about your brand, anything you wanted to get out there that we didn't really mention? Um... No, I mean, I I think we hit a lot of the basics uh, there. I think, you know, what's what I think is a really good one to combo in terms of wealth building is laundromats and real estate together and utilizing the cash flow of laundromats and the, you know, the the potential uh, equity growth of real estate and the tax advantages of both of them together can really accelerate your wealth, I think, really quickly. So if you're able to do both of those, uh, I I highly recommend it. And if even even better, in my view, is if you can get uh, if you can get a laundromat with the property that it's in, there's a strip center or something like that. You have a lot of opportunity to move cash from one entity to the other and create a whole lot of equity just by moving 
like for example, charging rent, that's top of the market rent to your laundromat and making it a triple net so that your laundromat is paying all the expenses uh, for your property. It actually increases the value of your real estate significantly and pretty quickly. Is there a huge number of laundromats out there able to be purchased? I mean, are there lots of laundromats out for sale? Or in general, we talked about on the show buying a pre-established laundromat as opposed to establishing your own, I guess would be the other way to do it. Um, Talk about the difference there. Yeah. So to answer your first question, um, there are and there aren't. The inventory is low right now. Uh, similar to real estate, there's not a ton on the market, but there are definitely some uh, for sale kind of all over the place right now. They're just the deals are a little bit harder to find right now than they have been. So that's that aspect of it. Um, in terms of building your own, um, you definitely can do that. There's definitely lots of people who do it and who, who do that for their first one and who make a lot of money doing it. Um, generally, I don't recommend that in most scenarios only because uh, it's pretty capital intensive for one. Um, for two, you know, there's a lot of nuances to building a laundromat that you either have to know, or you got to have somebody who does know that can help you. And then for three, the timeline for the build out, I mean, you're looking at 12 to 18 months before you open the door and then maybe another six to 12 months potentially until profitability. And so you're, you're looking at two years, give or take, uh, from inception of the idea to starting to make money. Whereas if you buy an existing laundromat, you can start making money day one. Um, so it, it, do, it, it does make sense in certain circumstances to, to go out and build a laundromat, but it's going to be easier. It's going to be faster if you buy an existing one most times. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambi Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 